You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. I have a message I want to share with you. And the title of this message is, Don't You Understand? And we're going to take a passage that is Mark 8, 17 through, but the first part we're going to read is 8 through 14, and then the following part, in other words, we're going to read this story, and I want to explain some things to you tonight about what the Lord was showing me in this passage, and I've recently been working my way through the Gospels in harmony, again, meaning all four of them together at one time, uh, with the journey with Jesus which I am going to reboot here at Antioch soon. And uh, this time I think we're going to uh, record it of some quality to be able to capture what the Lord is, is speaking through that. And um, I'm blessed to have this new little module here that actually is a really nice piece of equipment that lets it live stream up into the Internet with clear sound. So basically anything you hear in here is what you'll hear online because the audio has not been good, but simple little technologies help us do that so i'm grateful to the lord i thank him for this and uh, anyone online of course will be able to enjoy or later if you hear something and you want to go back to it but let's start by reading mark chapter 8 verse 8 the people ate and were satisfied afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over about four thousand were present After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. Now the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given it, or given to it, that he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Now we're going to talk a little bit about this before we go on, and this is Jesus meeting with the Pharisees and the Pharisees came here to question Jesus, to test him. They were always testing him. They were always hearing what he had to say and then answering questions about it. The disciples were present here. If you read corresponding gospels, also in other passages in Matthew as well, you find that there were arguments between the disciples of Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus had taught carefully his disciples the principles of the kingdom for a couple of years. And they grew. They learned so much. Imagine how much you would learn if you were walking with Jesus day by day, there with him to watch him open deaf ears, spit on the ground, make mud, put it in man's eyes, and do the things that he did. So many incredible things. Your faith would no doubt grow and grow and grow and you would think that if you were witness to such things you would be impenetrable 
You would be bulletproof. Nobody could get to you. Nobody could shake you. Nobody could rattle you because you saw truth. You experienced truth. You're with Jesus. But unfortunately, that's not the case with the disciples. The disciples, in this moment, that it says that the Pharisees came to question Jesus, to test him. As they were listening to the debates, they were forced to start to think again about the truths that Jesus had told them. At first, they just accepted what Jesus said. And in accepting what Jesus said, or if we accept what Jesus says, if we can just accept it, there's no power that can stop us. There's no force of the enemy that can stop us because that's how powerful faith is. We accept his words. We believe it. Nothing can shake us. If we build our lives on his word and put them into practice, then we, in fact, are the people with our houses built on solid rock. And that's what he told his disciples to do. But here in the midst of this questioning, this testing, asking for a sign, Jesus was grieved. That's why he sighed deeply and was rather disgusted with this all. And the disciples, shaken by this moment as they were leaving, they realized that they had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. So this was their current problem. Now, in verse 15, it goes on and says, Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Now this is really interesting because I know that we all wrestle with doubt. And doubt, in simple definition, Ricky actually spoke along these lines when he was here last ministering or the time before he used the word doubt. And he said that it simply means to think again. Second guess. So doubt means that you hear something, but then you think about it. So the disciples in this case were already convinced of the greatness of Christ and the ability of God. But when these very influential and powerful people started questioning Jesus in the company of the disciples, the disciples began to waver a bit in their stand because they were asking again about the validity of Christ. And this was because of a contamination or a disease that came upon them on part of the Pharisees. The yeast that Jesus is talking about is doubt. The doubt, the disbelief, the discord that comes from doubt when truth is spoken by the Lord to you, whether it be personal, biblical, or whatever the case, God speaks the word to you, you receive it in your heart, your mind, and you are excited Sometimes you're like the man in the parable of the sower that the seed that fell on the road says uh, is someone who gladly receives the word and rejoices in it, but very soon the crows come and take it. Sometimes doubt or Pharisees or religious mindsets or threats or life itself can come and try to steal the seeds of God's word and can shake you. If it could shake the disciples of Jesus who had a front row seat 
to the glories of God manifested on earth, then it stands the reason that it might shake us too. But in this passage, Jesus is doing something to help them because he doesn't leave us in our doubt. He does not want to abandon us there. Although it's frustrating to him because there never, ever existed doubt even for one second in Jesus. Never had doubt. Some say, well, he did doubt that night that he was about to be handed over and then crucified when he said, if it's possible, let this cup. No, no, don't, don't misunderstand what happened there. That's not doubt. That's just logic and wisdom from a spiritual perspective, knowing that his father was almighty and powerful. Anything could happen if it's possible that this cup pass. But whatever you say, in other words, his, his constitution or his drive to fulfill the will of the father was absolute. There was no doubt in doing what God said to do. The, the hallmark of faith was the final test passed by Abraham when he unconditionally offered Isaac on an altar. And God said, now I know that you trust me. So he passed that test. Now, it's hard to get to that point of passing, and we are in a process of learning. The disciples are not there yet. I don't think many of us are there yet. I don't claim to be there. I wrestle often with doubts. I'm challenged. And life is full of these challenges, these struggles with believing that God will bring us through whatever we're in, whatever situation we're going through. And this is part of the earthly perspective that limits our growth and peace. And we're going to talk a lot tonight about perspective because that's an important and crucial key. The perspective that limits our growth and peace is an earthly perspective. Now, not long after feeding thousands with just a few loaves and fish, the disciples of Jesus are doubting. They just saw this. And that's why Jesus said, don't you remember? Weren't you there? Didn't you see this? And really, there's some key questions that arise here. Because even after witnessing God's greatness in provision, they doubted. And sometimes we doubt. Not just provision of finances, anything in life. It could be battles with sickness and disease. It could be economic issues in as far as a role you're playing in a company or a job. It could be an educational career. These things, setbacks, difficulties, they're all going to come. There's always going to be these issues, but we can trust that God can never, ever not be faithful. He will always bring us through. And that's what this message is about because I think that's what Jesus was trying to convey to his disciples this in this moment that he speaks these words. Jesus does not leave us alone in our doubt, but wants to help us learn and grow. And he did this with his disciples by asking questions. And really here, Jesus asked five questions specifically crafted to rekindle the flame of faith in his disciples, in their hearts. And we can use these same questions to encourage ourselves in hard times if we choose to. So really this message is simply five questions for your soul in times of doubt. Five questions for your soul. When you find yourself in that difficult place, when you find yourself with your back against the wall, when you feel there's no way out in that moment, Take these questions, pretend, you don't even have to pretend because it says he will be with you always, even to the end of the age, but understand that he's standing there with you. He's asking you these questions and answer them 
with all your heart. Understand what Jesus was trying to draw out of his disciples. If you get this message, you can use this as a source of strength during your time of doubt. How many of you are interested in learning this? Amen. Father, we know that your word is absolute. We come to it. We bow to it. We submit to it. What the passages say, we accept. We're not going to second guess what your word says tonight. We're not going to think twice. We're going to take it. We're going to do what you said to Jairus to do. You said only believe. We're not going to add anything to our believing. We're not going to amend the believing. We're not going to try to figure everything out. We're just going to accept your word tonight. So bless it and let it be multiplied in our hearts and minds. And bless everyone here tonight and everyone online so that they can gain strength in their time of testing and trials to make it forward to the next day and the next day and the next day. In Jesus' name, amen. Question number one. Why are you talking about having no bread? I like this because in context we know that, that they are traveling and Jesus is constant. They had to move quick. They relied on their feet. They had to evade certain crowds. At this point, the ministry was very famous, and Jesus was a superstar. And the throngs or the crowds would come and press against him. And so often he would have to protect himself, preserve himself for the fulfillment of his ministry by getting into boats, taking off. And so they were rushed. In this moment that they were rushed, they forgot to bring enough food to eat. And so they only had one little loaf and now they're worried uh oh we forgot to bring bread and that is the topic of their discussion and Jesus asks them as they're getting in the boat setting out waving goodbye to the crowds they're murmuring to each other about this and Jesus overhears it and he asks this question why are you talking about having no bread so they're discussing the issue of bread when in fact the issue was not bread but disbelief and taking part in this disbelief was the problem. In other words, they were there when the Pharisees spoke. Then Jesus now hears that based upon the talking that was happening with the Pharisees, they're talking because they have been infected by doubt. Really, you can shorten this question down to why are you talking? Take out the about having no bread. Just why are you even talking? Because sometimes we're better off just shutting our mouths and only believing and obeying. Because evil thoughts come from the heart and escape from the mouth and corrupt our lives. Matthew 15, 10 says, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. And this is what we're talking about. If we speak faith and believe its strength and power, it will become a force in our life that makes us strong. That doubt will not be able to touch us. But we have to accept it and believe it and trust it. If we speak doubt and disbelief, it weakens us. If our discussions are questions that challenge God's faithfulness, that is the very definition of doubt. To think again. If God said it, it's it. That's why he was so impressed with the centurion. Jesus said, okay, I'll go to your house and pray for your servant. He said, no, 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 no. 
uh-uh, I know how this works. You don't even need to go to my house. Just say the word and it's done. Because I also am a man in authority and under authority. And if whatever I say, it happens within the realms of the military. And I know that's what it is in the spiritual realms and in the realms of the supernatural. And that, wow, Jesus. And he told his disciples, I've never found faith anywhere in Israel like this. He just understood. He did not second guess at all the absolute authority of Christ. And it wowed Jesus. I always like to talk about that because it's there's only two places in the Bible where Jesus was amazed. That and when he was in his home hometown and couldn't do any miracles. And there's a very specific word in the Greek. It means your mouth just kind of hangs open like you're dumbfounded. Jesus was amazed at the centurion and he was amazed at the people in his hometown that could not receive a miracle. And what caused them not to be able to receive the miracle? Doubt. Jesus was coming to town. They all got excited about it. They said, hey, Jesus is coming in. Have you heard about Jesus? Yes. Did you hear about the miracles? Yes. In fact, I have a cousin that was healed of leprosy. Oh, yeah? Well, my brother-in-law, one of his employees was really sick, and Jesus laid hands on him and healed him. Wow. Did you hear about what happened over near Nain in that funeral? Jesus just walked up and touched the coffin, and the boy got up from the dead. So they start talking. They're in his hometown, and they believe this until... They asked this question. Wait a minute. Isn't this the same Jesus that grew up here? How, what do you mean he raised the dead? He opened deaf ears. What do you mean he did this? This is the same Jesus that was here. I saw him as a little boy running around. I saw him uh, wandering around as he did and playing with the other children. How is it possible? So they were second guessing. They were questioning. What are you talking about having no bread? If we speak faith and belief, it strengthens us. If we speak doubt and disbelief, it weakens us. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. Watch your words. If you do not build yourself up with positive words from positive thoughts, who will? There's not always going to be someone. In fact, I will bet you that there are more against you than for you overall when it comes to negativity and positivity, and the war between the two. That people will always have a dark thing, they're always going to have an evil thing, they're always going to have a bad thing, and no matter how much you speak positive, they will have some negativity to counteract it. That's probably 9 out of 10 people. If you find someone who is truly an optimist, who is truly positive, that just somehow always sees sunshine, make that your friend. Stay close to them. You need them. But in most cases, you're not going to have someone to do that for you. So you're going to have to do it for yourself. Like David at Ziklag when all his men wanted to stone him. He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How did he do that? He spoke to himself. Have you ever spoken to yourself? Come on, you can do this. Just think. Think. Concentrate. You speak words to yourself. You build yourself up, especially with the word of God. And remember that God's word is the water that washes our minds of the negative thoughts of our carnal nature or the negative thoughts 
that are implanted seeds of the yeast of the Pharisees in Herod, or of the doctrines of men, or of the naysayers of the universe that somehow are seeking you all the time and that want to bring you down, or the news, or television, or social media. We are bombarded from every angle by negativity, but we must replace the flawed negative thoughts with scriptural positive thinking. Ephesians 5.25 says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a glorious church without stain or wrinkle or any such blemish, but holy and blameless. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So here we see these two scriptures in tandem, one with another concerning the effect of God's word on our life. The Bible itself is pure water from heaven. It is the river of life. It is the crystal clear water that flows from above. And if we can ingest it somehow into our minds, it will wash our minds. It will purify us. But even when the water is flowing, just because you bring a calf to the water does not mean it's going to drink. You have to make the choice. We demolish the argument. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be pretensive uh, or pretensions that come against. They set themselves up against what you know to be truth, what you know to be God's words or God's promises to you. So you're going to have to take captive those thoughts. And the word is a military term here that means to sequester or take an enemy and bind him with tethers and ropes and arrest him. So how can you arrest the negative thoughts? Because if you are around the Pharisees, that yeast goes in and it just takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole lump. So you're going to have to purge yourself. How? God's word. I know. Oh, Stephen, you're going to tell us again to read the Bible. Yes, I'm going to tell you again. Read the Bible. Please, I'm begging you, please read the Bible. His word is so pure. It's so wonderful. We talk, 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 but what are we talking? Why are you talking about having no bread? That was his concern. Why are you even talking? What is this discussion you're having? And where did this mindset come from? You've just witnessed 4,000 fed, 5,000 fed, two bread miracles, and they're freaking out over one piece of bread with 12. They fed five and 4,000, and there's only 12, 13 with Jesus in the boat, and they're concerned. What in the world were they thinking? You start to see the Jesus perspective, and you think, come on, people. Why are you even talking about this? Watch your words. Gosh. Once they start coming out, it's, that's what defiles us. Once the words start coming out, and but anyway, but you know, I know this is true, but, and I feel this, I have this real deep conviction, but I just can't. Yeah, you just can't. Well, you can't. Nobody can. He can. He's strong through us. So he asks the second question of the five that happened in those two verses. Do you still not see or understand? There's a corresponding passage that says, how is it you don't understand 
that I was not talking to you about bread. Because I'm pulling from the other gospel, the other synoptic gospel. Same story, but in that one he says this whole question. How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? What is wrong with you? Do you still not see or understand? So think of how much the disciples had seen at this point. Jesus was continually challenged with the inability of man to see or understand the God perspective. And that's really what's so important. He asked, how long would he have to put up with us? How long am I going to have to endure this kind of insanity? See, to him, our sanity is insane. Because our sanity is built upon logic and reason. But reason is by very nature to think again. It is doubt. Sometimes reasoning is the doubt. That you reason through it. Remember just recently in the school, those are at the, in the program, we covered the lesson about the scribe and Jesus when they were talking to one another. And he asked, what is the greatest commandment to test Jesus? And Jesus said to love uh, the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. And we love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And then the scribe said, well, that's a good answer. He saw that, that he, he said it well. And so he said, it's true, we should love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. And he actually used a different Greek word. Jesus said, dianoia, which means warm meditation for mind. Whereas the scribe said, cold calculation, understanding. And so Jesus is just, he gets tired of it at times, and he says, how long do I have to be with you? This means that Jesus is expecting us to grow faster than we do. He's looking forward to us. It's like a coach. You know, if someone's training you, you don't want a coach or someone who's training you to always be sympathetic to your whining. You don't want that someone, if you hire a personal trainer, you don't want a personal trainer that's going to say, no, just rest, honey. It's okay. Just, just take a break. You want some more water? Here, just let's just cut out this other part of the exercises. Just do one set today. We won't do two sets. What, what, what value would a trainer like that be? What do you want? You want the trainer that's going to say, no, no, suck it up. Come on. You can do this. You can do this. They're standing there yelling at your side. You see these weight trainers, and they're, they're screaming at each other. I mean, just, like all their might to pick up that last rep and make it. You want people by your side that will not let you quit but will provoke you to do the best that you can. That's all Jesus is doing here. He's not saying, how long do I have to be with you? Because he's wanting to walk away from them because he never walked away from them. He said, how long do I have to be with you so that he could provoke them to make changes and get smarter? Get wiser in the ways of God and stop depend upon the reasons of men. Get rid of the contamination of the yeast of the Pharisees. And he's expecting us to grow faster than we do sometimes. His hope in our growth exceeds our ability to comprehend. We should try to see it from his perspective. And for me, a heavenly perspective will produce trust and confidence in God. And the secret for me to spiritual growth is that simple, to change perspectives. We have to take upon ourselves the God perspective and abandon the man perspective. How does God see things? 
some of my mentors that taught me a lot, Ruth Ann Martinez, who was Ruth Ann Ost, her father, Danny Ost. I heard him say one time in a recording, he was talking about perspective. And he said, if you could just climb up in the father's lap and see what he sees from that throne. And those words stuck in my heart because he was such a good preacher, so anointed to that I envisioned myself just climbing up daddy's leg and like, you know, with the toddlers trying to get off the edge of trying to get up there and they claw you and pull and you finally help them up. I saw daddy helping me and propping me up on his knee and I proudly could see everything my father sees and it's just so simple from there. It's such an easy thing. Life is a joke. Everything is possible. Suddenly everything changes. That's why worship is so important. That's why it is so important to do what we did a moment ago. We entered in. We were in a place that is not of this world. We entered into a domain or realm in spirit, and suddenly the perspective changed. Problems we came in with fell on the floor in that moment. They're no longer alive because they were assassinated by perspective, by the right perspective, by eternal perspective. Always keep an eternal perspective. Keep an eternal paradigm. Your worldview needs to change. I love the perspective of Christ. Four God perspectives I thought about today. There's many more, but I like these. Uh, first, God sees everything as possible. And in fact, what is impossible for man is possible with God. All things are possible with God. That's his first perspective. God never looks at anything and decides that, I don't know, this one looks rough. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this. Never. It's all a simple thing for God. And if you gain his perspective, you will see that as his child, entitled to the full inheritance of your father, that impossible process of life is also yours all things are possible for you. For the one who believes, he said it. God sees every situation as a lesson for growth. In fact, Jesus only saw everything. Jesus sees them talking about bread in the boat after witnessing the 5,000 and the 4,000 as an opportunity to teach you. That's why he comes up with these questions. Because everything, every situation is a lesson for growth. We can learn from it. God sees the dead as sleeping. Nothing incapable of repair. Everything can be fixed. Oh, but not death. <laughs> he didn't even recognize death. He did not even give death the time of day. He didn't accept it. He just said, no, she's sleeping. They laughed at him, mocked him, because what a foolish perspective. How silly could you be? They knew she was dead. They dressed the body. They felt the cold, lifeless limbs of the girl, and they laid her out, and they were mourning, and they, they were the funeral directors, and they came and put everything together, and all they knew in their craft and all that they ever did with bodies proved without a doubt that the girl was dead and this guy comes along and says she's asleep this man must be an idiot how can he possibly think and it says they mocked they laughed at him you idiot and jesus just put him out i like that he just put him out get out of here 
because he kept his perspective. He never allowed anyone to, to damage his perspective. God sees everything from heaven. He sees everything from the perspective of eternity. If you can possibly try to do that, that could be your key to success in all things. Just look at it from in the light of eternity. There's, there's so little down here on earth that really matters. No trial, nothing can separate you from that eternal love. Not death, not life, not height, not depth, not famine, not sword, not anything. It gives this big, long, nothing can separate you. The eternal connection, our perspectives have to be there. Question number three. Are your hearts hardened? Actually, you know this word hardened it means like marble. Uh, in India, when we lived there for six years, um, there were marble quarries right in our neighborhood. I mean, literally, just as we drove out uh, toward Virar, leaving um, northern uh, Mumbai, as we went, that you would pass by these quarries, marble quarries, where they just cut, because marble's cheap. You could buy, everybody's house was marble covered. That's serious. Everybody's house, where we lived, every apartment had marble walls, marble floors, marble everything. And I remember thinking, man, for being a poor country, there sure is a lot of marble here. Everything's made of marble. Well, it's because it's common there, and it's hard. It's very hard. And this is what this means. What hardens the human heart? Are your hearts hardened? Well, we already discovered what hardens the heart's human reasoning, the reasoning of the Pharisees, that yeast that spoiled their faith. I want us to uh, go back a little in the story here to Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Interesting. What does their understanding about these loaves have to do with this? Now, this is important because this will give you an understanding why he asked these questions. It's kind of the primer to the puzzle. They had not understood about the loaves. As a result of not understanding about the loaves, they were afraid in this storm in the boat without Jesus. But they shouldn't have been. They should have already learned. There were former, by the way, other experiences in boats and storms before this, if you recall. And such times as when even Peter walked on water. And you think they should have learned that, but because of the question Jesus is asking, he's trying to uncover the real issue here, because they had not understood about the loaves. If they understood about the loaves and what Jesus meant in asking the questions, 
they would not have feared even in the middle of that storm. They would have already won over the right perspective and had been able to sleep like Jesus during the storm on the rower's cushion. They would already have it. That's why the verse actually says, he climbed to the boat with them, the wind died down, and they were completely amazed because they did not understand about the loaves. So Jesus knew when he had shown them the miracles of the loaves and the fish that they were on their way to greater challenges. This followed those two sets of miracles. They get into the boat murmuring, asking questions, wondering, and then he goes out. He was preparing them with the questions for this next challenge. Because this is the thing about the economy of God in the processing of our character and spirit and faith. It's never going to end. You're never going to get a break. You understand? Because he has a limited amount of time to get you ready for eternity. So he's constantly working to develop you and develop you. He's pushing you. He is that personal trainer that we talked about. He is the one telling you one more rep. One more. Just push. You can do another. You can do another. And you find that when you can, the next time you're with him, he wants you to do another. If you did 12 reps, he's ready for 13 the next time. Always wanting you to grow. Always wanting you to expand. And this was an exercise. He prepared them, told them, questioned them. Oh, hoping they got it. And then he put them in the boat and sent them out onto another test. They didn't get it. He gets in the boat. And they were amazed. They're starting to figure it out now, for they had not understood about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. The issue of bread was a threat to their stomachs, but the issue of the storm on the lake was a threat to their lives. If they couldn't deal with a little hunger and worried about what are we going to eat, how would they deal with this life-threatening storm? Being ready. Trials are evolutionary and progressively more difficult as we develop our spiritual character. I thank God for the hard places he's put me through the years because it teaches me. If they had understood the purpose of the loaves and the fish miracle, they would have been better prepared for the challenge of the life-threatening ordeal in the storm on the lake. Because I have news for you. You're going to get in a boat and you're going to go out there on the lake and there's going to be a storm. And if you're ready for it, you'll be okay. But if you're not prepared for it through the processes that Jesus is choosing to develop your spiritual character, you're going to find it very difficult. He's not going to abandon you. Don't worry. He'll come walk out on the water if he has to. He'll find you wherever you are. And if you're freaking out and you can't handle it, he's going to get in the boat with you. But he's also going to tell you when he does, you have little faith. Why don't you understand? Why can't you learn the lessons? Somehow their heart had been hardened. And we know that it's a result of the reasoning of the Pharisees. And Jesus called that reasoning yeast. It only takes a little bit to mess you up. Be careful who you're listening to. Question number four. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? It's a funny question. You have eyes, right? You have ears, right? Why can't you see? Why can't you hear? This means that Jesus knew that they had both eyes and ears capable of seeing, perceiving, and understanding the reality of the miracle power of God. They had seen it, 
they had eyes, they had ears, but apparently they weren't turned on or they're not plugged in. Something's happening and they're not able to perceive or gain the proper perspective. So Jesus is a little miffed about it and says this, you have eyes, but you just don't see. You have ears, right? Why aren't you hearing? I believe that this is the purpose of the object lesson of the loaves and the fish. It was literally their first hands-on miracle. Up to then, they weren't asked to do anything but walk around and follow him. And he was teaching and teaching and teaching. The, really, the line was crossed when he said, you feed them. Because he was trying to introduce them to not just the, the thoughts of faith or the theory of faith, but the practical functions of faith. Can you put your hands on the bread? And he helped them along with that. He broke it and handed it to them. But the multiplication took place in their hands, not in Jesus' hands. Because Jesus broke portions and gave it to each of the disciples. And as they broke it, it was multiplying. It would have been easy for Jesus to do all the multiplication himself and just throw all the bread pieces out there. Thousands. It would be easy for Jesus to do. Jesus could have just done some spectacular leap like Michael Jordan trying to do a slam dunk and threw the bread in the air and the bread blow up like a firework. And... 5,000 loaves rain down on the people. That would be awesome. And the disciples would have been like, yes, look at Jesus. And everybody would have applauded. And no one would have learned any practical lessons for their own spiritual development. But Jesus was a teacher. He wanted them to learn. Because he always wants us to learn. And this is funny because I believe that the purpose of it was to teach them it was their hands-on miracle. It was therapy for the atrophied muscles of their spiritual eyes and ears. Because you have ears, you have eyes, you're not listening, you're not seeing. You've you got to use them, bring them back online. And he was trying to get them to do that. Each of us, having been created in the image and the likeness of God, has the inherent ability to both see and hear God and perceive his realm. However, many, if not most of us, I think, are not operating in the fullness of our spiritual capacity within earthly realms. And that's where the rubber meets the road. We are heavenly, but we live on earth. We can stay, say things, believe things, pray things, worship certain ways, but... Loaves and fish are not spiritual. Those are physical things. He was teaching them to cross the line from the spiritual to the physical and to show them how the physical can be transformed by the spiritual. And if you can learn that, nothing can stop you. That means the limitations of this life. What are the limitations of this life? They're all physical. They're the physical elements of this life. It could be even viruses or sickness, disease, anything, but they're all still physical, just like loaves and fish. And if you can learn how to harness the power of God to make changes happen to physical matter, ha, think about that. Nothing could stop you. Jesus had that. He could spit and make mud and stick it in people's eyes and they would see. He took spiritual, transformed it into physical and did physical things that caused spiritual results. So it is with these, these questions, he's trying to provoke that out of us. 
and it's not unlike faith itself. If we use our spiritual eyes and ears, it's like using faith because they're connected to faith. And if you use the faith you had, every man has been given a measure of faith. And if you use the little bit that you have, you can make mountains move. They will leap into the ocean. And this last one for me is really how we can do this. The last question. And don't you remember? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? And they did know and they were forced to answer. Oh yeah, I remember we had 12 baskets. That's a lot of baskets full of broken pieces of fish and bread. They remembered exactly. They remembered everything. They just were not choosing to remember it. And that's an important key. Jesus expects us to use our memories of all of his wondrous works in our lives as a source of strength to confront our daily obstacles. He wants us to keep in mind the fact that he has never left us nor abandoned us on this journey of exploration, but he is expecting us to cross a line from spirit to physical and spiritual things becoming a reality in a physical world. Each and every time God does something for us, it provides us with a stone to put in the foundation of our spiritual life. By remembering the stones of those experiences, we gain a strong stand and foothold firmly planted on a foundation of experience that I can remember. And honestly, this concept is my wife and, and my secret weapon. We use this all the time. Whenever we are afraid, whenever we're worried and we're biting our nails and will it work out? Will it work out? We just look at each other and this little creepy smile comes out on our faces because we know what we're going to say. And it's always, oh, let me ask you a question. It's sarcastic. You say, do you remember the time God didn't do everything for us? Remember the time God abandoned us? Remember the time God disappointed us and did not do everything that was necessary? We have to be honest and answer, no. For 35 years, we cannot think of even one single time <laughs> that he did not take care of everything. Now, if you're here tonight and you're in the predicament of an unanswered situation and you're worried about it, then this is for you. Remember. Don't focus on the fact that you do not have enough bread right now. But focus on the fact that he fed 5,000 and 4,000 with just a few loaves and fish. Matthew 16, 12 says, then, I like this, epiphany time. Then they understood. <gasps> That he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I like the little light bulbs turned on. Oh, it's spiritual. Hey, I'm not making fun of them. I'm in their group. It happens to me a lot. At those moments, I'm like, 
My mother used to call me doofus. If you've even heard the word doofus. I, when I would say something totally stupid, my mother would say, no doofus. I like that name, doofus. And it meant somebody so dull of understanding and simple that they don't know what green or red lights mean. They can't interpret a stop sign. My grandfather was a little more cruel about his words. He's the one that would say, you so dumb you couldn't boil water. He was in the Second World War. You know, you can't, they didn't know all this psychological stuff that we know today. They were just straight up. You're so stupid you'd mess up cornflakes. That's, he used to actually tell me that. Maybe that's why I turned out how I am. I knew what he meant. Doofus. And I am often spiritually a doofus. And, and, but I love this moment. I love, I love when I cross this line. I love when I understand. Because I tell you, once I understand, I'm done. I understand it. I don't lose it once I have it. I am good at retaining knowledge. Once the lesson is learned, I don't have to learn it again. I may wrestle with it, but I know the secret now. The secret is just remember everything he did up to now and know that he's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. They finally understood. After being asked important questions to help them reorient themselves upon the firm foundation of the supernatural, they were then finally in a position to comprehend what Jesus was teaching them. It took a while. It took two demonstrations of supernatural. One was not enough. Why well, Jesus did it a second time because he knew. I don't think it stuck the first time. Do you ever watch an instructional video that's really simple and it's supposed to be a little tutorial and you should get it and, and you'd watch, you have to watch it again. It's just, I watch it several times. Jesus was so kind and patient. He fed 5,000. Wasn't that great, guys? You got it, right? Yeah, we got it. They didn't. And they said, all right, we got to do this again. And he waited for another crowd and did 4,000. You got it, right? Oh, we don't have any bread. Oh, no. Think Jesus is mad at us because we don't have any bread? Look, beware, all right? You guys are supposed to be further along than this. You should know better. So I know what happened. You were talking to those Pharisees, and they rubbed off on you with their doubt. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. He found out we don't have bread. He's mad at us. What are we going to do? Jesus, I'm <laughs> sure Jesus was... What's wrong with you people? Why are you talking about not having bread? Do you still not see 
and understand? Are your hearts like marble? Are they so hard that you have these eyes in your head, but you can't see a darn thing, and you have ears you can't even hear? Don't you remember? Don't you remember? Jesus never gives up on us. He continues to teach us, persuade us with his merciful and patient kindness. Time and time again, he proves himself to us in every single situation in life. And we can use these questions to overcome our doubt and fear, to reorient us and give us the strength to believe. These are the questions we saw. It's so funny now. You read through it quick, but if you take the time and break it down, it gets to be hilarious. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see? By now you should have seen. By now you should have gotten along with the program. I've fed 5,000 people. And then I fed 4,000 people. How many basketfuls did you pick up after the miracle? A lot. Twelve. Then why are you worried about not having enough bread? We are 13 guys in a boat. You don't think that I can take care of 13 when I took care of 5,000 and 4,000? Your heart's made of stone. <laughs> Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Use your eyes. Turn them on. Did you ever not be able to find the on switch on a new device you get? That is so frustrating. It's happened to me before. I'm, and I still don't know the difference between the circle and the line. You know, on the switches, one is on and off. Honestly, I'd never have been able to figure out. Do you know what you, do? you really know? Is it the circle that's on or the line? You don't know, do you? How do you figure? You just toggle it. You're just like, let's see, click, 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 click. Okay, that must be. I've never memorized. That's how simple we are. That's how simple I am. You must be smarter than me. I, don't, I can never figure out which one is. And even worse, I, I, it's like an air con when you lose your remote. You know, I can't stand that. And you can't operate it. And our new air cons right now we have in the house, the Mitsubishis, and they have an actual button on the units. I'm so glad. I can walk up and beep. I can turn it on and off. No control over any kind of temperature or anything or, or wind volume, but at least I can turn it on and off if I lose the remote control. Ah. I'm just having fun tonight. But I think these principles are sound. I think that, that we could take these questions, learn them, ask yourself. When you're shaking in your boots and you're worried, oh no, what am I going to do in this situation? Just put yourself in a boat with Jesus and stare at him and read these questions from the lips of Jesus to yourself. Stop talking. Listen, by the time you're finished, the last one is really the whole key. Don't you remember? And once you remember, it's like, yeah, you're right. Jesus. <laughs> King of kings. He's such a wonderful God. <sighs> He's a miracle God. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you find yourself in, He has the answer. 
There's nothing he can't do. Jesus.